Ghost Ship Radio Network. Sail onward. What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 20 of the Adjacent Hex Podcast. My name is Zach. And misunderstanding the rules, as usual, is Doug. How's it going, man? Going pretty well. Uh, keeping very busy. Um, I just want a, a quick shout-out to my buddy Rob and his brand-new wife, Imbal. They just got married on Saturday, uh, and Jesse and I took the baby and went to the wedding, and we had a great time. Got to see a lot of, a lot of friends I hadn't seen in a while. Awesome. That's great. Congratulations, guys. Also... I just want to point out, this is game-related, so remember at my wedding, Jesse and I, our wedding favors were dice mm-hmm. uh, with thing carved into them? Well, Rob and Imbal did something very similar, and everybody got a black and white dice, mm-hmm. but one said Mr. and one says Mrs. Oh, that's uh, neat. So so we were able to pick up four, four dice at the wedding. <laughs> hey, I mean, like we said last episode, you know, having extra dice banging around can never hurt. Never hurt, um, especially since uh, I've got, so the game Ten Candles. I've mentioned on the show, mm-hmm. um, and since I've been talking about it to people, I've got about a dozen volunteers to play, and, and one of the things you need in that game is a uni- unique dice, so I'm thinking I might sort of incorporate Robin Inball's dice into that game somehow. Oh, that'll um, be cool. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun, but I, I'm, I actually have a game planned, fingers crossed, for about two weeks from now, the 22nd. Nice. Speaking of RPGs, I mean, uh, Alex and I just started Call of Cthulhu, the RPG. Oh yeah, is that um, a, is that a one shot or is that a? Um, it's the, the Kickstarter that went up for the seventh edition of it just went gangbusters, and there are so many things. This is not a brand new game. No, this edition. is this okay. is an older system that's just been retooled and revamped. And uh, we we did character creation last week, and we are looking forward to a couple of new mini campaigns in between. Basically, we're taking a break from Dungeons and Dragons for a little while to try out a couple of different things. Uh, mm. We're going to try out. Call of Cthulhu, and then after Gen Con, we're going to start up uh, Sentinel Comics RPG, and then get back, right back to Dungeons and Dragons in the fall. So you do uh, you do more um, campaign mm-hmm. RPGs. RPGs I have tend to be more one shot RPGs, and I think I would be really into that. I'll be honest, because you know I often find myself like, okay, what did we do last week, or mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. what what do I need to do today? And that that kind of frustrates me. I'd rather just kind of get right into it. Right. Well. I, and I think, uh, for me, it's more about just being able to get the same people to the table mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Because uh, everybody's so busy. But that that sounds like that it's more of a, a topic for another time. Oh, absolutely, it is. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do. I want to get. I want to get right into it. Yeah. We always talk about. And you brought a game over to my house. Um, because you own it and you found it, I want you to sort of go ahead and lead with that. Okay. Because this this was uh, the entertainment surprise of my month. Yeah, so uh, Katie and I, along with my parents and my brother and his girlfriend, uh, we love poking around what I call dirt malls. Uh, usually these are antique stores or thrift stores or things like that where you, you never know what you might find. I've found comic books, I've found tables and uh, antique video game equipment, and this time I found a vendor in one of these dirt malls that was selling antique board games. And I was like, okay, there's no way any of these are worth a, a dime. 
you know, he had Monopoly this and and Clue that and, mm-hmm. you know, what's that terrible, like, Gossip Girl, the game. <laughs> and I was like, th- these are stupid. I would have bought that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he was generally asking too much for them. Like, a base set of Monopoly, granted it was a little bit older, he was right. asking at least one and a half times the, the, the asking price, mm-hmm. the, the normal asking price for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this this guy's full of baloney. I, I don't want any of this stuff. And on my way out of the booth, I saw a copy of the $6 million man, the board game. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the goofiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I pick it up and I show Katie. And, I, and I'm like, and I look down at the price tag and it's, he's only asking 25 bucks. And I'm like, something, I, I don't know, something compelled me to look it up on BGG. Turns out $6 million man is a 5.3. And for a game that came out in 1975, I'm like, that's surprisingly high. And we just want to point out, we actually looked this up when you brought it over. There are two $6 million man games. Yes. And we certainly got the better one. Yeah, one of them is, I mean, the other one is just terrible by the looks of things. And this one is a simple, you put a pawn on the, on the board Spin a spinner and move that many spaces and do whatever it says on the game. For all intents and purposes, it's mousetrap. But <laughs> the the real key is as you move, when, it, when it's your turn, you have a, a handful of power cards, which are just little pieces of cards, cardstock. They have Steve Austin's face on them, and that's it. They're blank on the back. And I think if, they say power card, don't they? Uh, they might say, yeah, I, I think they might say power card. But the they're back. all they're all the same. There's they're like... all the same. There's nothing special about them. And they on your turn, instead of spinning the spinner, you can discard power cards out of your hand and move exactly that many spaces. So if I discard three, I can move three spaces. This allows you to mitigate some of the trap spaces on the board that would <laughs> cause you to waste an extra turn or discard some number of power cards. Well, the other thing it lets you do is land on a space with another player. Yes. And that, that's that's where a lot of the fun of the game came from. Yeah. You uh, get to sort of uh, duel a little bit. You, you definitely duel. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's a roll-off. You roll the die, and whoever wins moves, what, forward that many spaces? Something like that, yeah. No, they get a power card, and the other person has to move back. I don't something, remember. It's something like that. Something weird. It, I mean, basically, it's, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a reward and a penalty. Yeah. We had an unbelievable amount of fun <laughs> playing that foolish game. You and I were giggling like schoolgirls. <laughs> it's a, uh, it only took us, what, like 20 minutes to learn oh, and easy. play. Yeah, I mean, was... it's a quick little game. There were two of us. I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And we were also, like, doing the sound effects and we were really playing it up. Yeah. The game is, is relatively simple. I would like to play it with four players. Yes, absolutely. Because I think there'll be more player interaction then. But it was... For not being a modern game, and for being a, a spin and move game, uh, we did have a good time with it. Yeah, and it really turns was. out that I was the real $6 million, million dollar man. I still don't believe you. you. We're just an imposter. I, I still think you're lying. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, the actual object of the game is everybody plays somebody who looks like Steve Austin, the $6 million man. Um, but only one of them is the real one. And so you have to go do these missions. And the first person to complete the game turns out to be the real $6 million man. Um, the other people are just very, very talented, regular human beings. <laughs> and it's got cute little illustrations and yep, uh, it's a it colorful board. 
mm-hmm. especially considering the the 1975 um, color palette that they had available for printing. Who was the Who was the publisher? Do you know? It's Parker Brothers. It is Parker Brothers. Okay. I mean, this yeah, it's just a it's just a capitalize on the popularity of the Showtime game. But we had a lot of fun with it. We really did. Um, and uh, I, gosh, I, I can't wait it. to play that one again, especially like <laughs> with it. like-minded people, right? Like, I mean, you and I both love that kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, older than we are TV stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a great thing to point out is that the game itself isn't amazing. Mm. A lot of the fun we had was what we brought to the game. Yes. And the game sort of had enough there for us to have fun with it. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for like a real excellent game, eh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not your that. $25 somewhere else. Yeah, but if you've got a group of people like we do, I mean, Corey and Eric and Joff would really dig that game. Oh, yeah, I'd have fun. I had fun with it. I'd play it again. Yeah, I definitely sure. would. Um, I just I just don't want to oversell it. No, absolutely not. We gotta <laughs> definitely got to... Uh, yeah, it, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we had fun with it, though. We did. Uh, so what else has you played? Maybe something from, from within the last 30 or 40 years. <laughs> Well, how about something from within the last year? Sounds good to me. All right. Um, so lately, the store I work at has been really going all in on Fantasy Flight games. D- due to some situations beyond our control, we got a, a, a big influx of them. And our boss was like, hey, uh, you know, you guys are really enjoying these. Do you mind, you know, really hamming them up? We're like, well, what did you have in mind? And he, he hands me a copy of the Arkham Horror LCG. Now, listeners of this podcast know Arkham Horror is my current favorite I'm going to play it a lot game. Mm-hmm. Um, not certainly my favorite game, but I, I just, I've been playing that but a lot. Been, and you get it, you get in at least once a month. Yes. Right? Yep. We have a scheduled which, game. Which is a, a lot for, especially a long game like that. Absolutely. And so Alex and I just kind of looked at each other and busted the box open and gave it a try. It's really interesting. It takes the living card game setup that we've talked about on the show. Go ahead and go ahead back and listen to that episode. We'll wait. <laughs> Um, we should put in the show notes what episode that is. Yeah, I will. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> and it adds sort of that uh, Mansions of Madness, uh, Arkham Horror, Elder, Elder Sign level of intensity or like urgency, I guess is a better word. Basically, when you go to make any kind of a check, you have a statistic on your on your player card. And if you need to, let's say, make an attack check, you reach into a bag much like you do in any of the Richard Lanius Arkham Horror games, and you pull out a token. Now, that token can be anything from minus, like, four. It can be really bad. All the way up to an Elder Sign, which is really good, and generally speaking, you pass that check. But a lot of the stuff in the bag is, like, you don't want to draw that. That's bad news bears. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it it makes your decision-making process really, really difficult. Um, Alex and I only played the intro mission, which is supposed to be the easiest, and we got curb stomped. So <laughs> we're a little bit trepidatious about diving in on um, the Dunwich Legacy, which is the first boxed campaign that's, that they're releasing for it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that game can be pretty difficult. Um, I just want to point out that uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, they did a review, but they also did a mm-hmm. how to play. And I think they did, or not a how to play, they did a where they film oh, themselves play. playing it. Yeah, let's play. And they, I think they did the intro mission mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Uh, it is filled with spoilers. So anybody who wants to keep the game completely a mystery, right. I wouldn't recommend it. But if you were kind of on the fence, it might be worth checking out. Of course, if you do, make sure you go in the comments and, and hear where you heard yeah. that tip. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, shameless self-promotion. 
shameless self-promotion. Well, if I'm going to promote their show, I want my name yeah, dropped right? in the comments. Seems only fair. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we we were playing as, like, the urchin and the, like, lawyer or something like that. So are these the same characters that you would find in Arkham Horror Mansions? Yes, Madness, they are. As a matter of fact, uh, to mark your position on the board, you have a little, like, mini Euro card. And Alex and I just reached right into our Mansions of Madness kit and grabbed the miniatures. Pulled your mini up? Yep. Uh, okay, you know, so you can play like Joe Diamond and those kind of guys. Absolutely, you can. Now, not all of them are released yet, as right, is usual right. for Fantasy Flight. Um, and, of course, there's another expansion for Mansions of Madness coming out very soon that releases, I think, another four characters. That <laughs> they, they like to make sure you have enough material, don't they? They sure do. And by <laughs> enough, we mean altogether too much. Yeah, even Arkham Horror's got that sort of, they come out with new missions. I don't know if it's monthly or quarterly or... Uh, Elder, Elder but, Tour, they do. Um, oh, okay. Arkham Horror LCG? They must have new stuff. Arkham Horror LCG, yeah, it is it is coming out uh, quarterly. I okay, believe, or, so it's a quarter, no, like a like a mini box expansion. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry, it's every every other month. Okay, it's just so a little a little card pack. Now we were able to get in on it like right out of the gun, and we missed mm-hmm. one of the mini expansions. But uh, unfortunately, in order to play some of these campaigns, you have to buy every single pack. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, so they'll release like the first part in the big box, along with a bunch of other like items and characters and things like that. But the mission cards come out in mm. these little packs, and if you miss one, they go out of print very quickly. Um, yeah. Fortunately, Fantasy Flight has learned, at least it appears they've learned, from their experiences with um, Android Netrunner and Star Wars LCG and things like that, and, and Game of Thrones, that they need to reprint these things very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. You got to keep them on the shelf, especially if you're going to make future expansions dependent on having mm-hmm. a past thing. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, it sounds like a cool game. It looks like a cool game, but uh, that I don't know how much I like being committed <laughs> yeah. to having to buy the expansions. Uh, that's a personal choice, though. If it weren't for the fact that uh, I was basically told to, to support this game, yeah, I don't know that I would. Okay, so you didn't like it enough to spend your own money on it correct okay um i think as it stands i mean uh, my boss was like okay if we're gonna do this this fantasy flight all in thing i need you to play uh, rebellion and i need you to play x-wing and i, and I was like try all this I, stuff, I can't yeah. do that like you're only paying me so much <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it just it wasn't uh it's not <laughs> it's not in the cards uh for me to play <laughs> all of the fantasy flight products um so we're, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. but uh, So for you, you would stick with the regular Arkham Horror. Absolutely. And pass on the LCU. Absolutely. Okay, that's cool enough. Actually, you mentioned that Arkham Horror is sort of your, your game you've been hammering to death. Mm-hmm. For me lately, that's been Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born. That's another game we talked about extensively in our LCG episode, so I don't want to get too far into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got to play four of the expansion decks. These are characters that come with full decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brennan Blackcloud, Victoria Glassfire, Rin Northvale, and Leo Sunshadow. Mm-hmm. I've actually played Brennan and Victoria, and then other people have played the others against me. Uh, a lot of fun. The What's interesting, and the reason I think these are worth mentioning, is that the in the base game, all of the characters, the, the pre-made decks anyway, come with two types of magic mm-hmm. like you'll use like charm magic and na- natural magic or whatever combination uh the four characters i just mentioned all use only one type of magic so 10 of the same type of dice in their pre-build 
Yeah, Jack and I have played, uh, I, I believe it was um, Rin Northfell versus Victoria Glassfire. Mm-hmm. How'd and that go? It was I, I, It was a, a while ago. I don't actually remember what the outcome was. Okay. Um, I think Jack just smacked me out, but that's just normal for Jack. He's very good at that kind of game. But Were you Victoria Glassfire, a.k.a. the Duchess of Deception, or Rin Northfell? I was Victoria Glassfire. Um, okay. A few months ago, I got really... Well, I mean, you and I were working with the creative team uh, behind Harley Quinn at Boston Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And so I got really into their work, and I was like, oh, Victoria Glassfire kind of reminds me of Harley Quinn. I'm going to use her. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, even in the notes on, like, the comments on uh, BGG, are she's uh, Phoenix or Ash's version of Harley Quinn. So, yeah, I, I, I dove in on that deck, and Jack grabbed another one. And uh, it, it, don't get me wrong, it was close, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a different experience using all ten of the same die. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Simplifies things a little bit. Um, I got to play, I played Victoria Glassfire against Leo Sunshadow. Have you played with or against Leo Sunshadow? I have not, personally. I do own the deck, uh, but I have watched several games with him. So this is the Roaring Rose, and basically he's a fatigue deck. Mm-hmm. The whole point of his characters. So he's got three conjurations. One of them makes you pay a die anytime you want to attack the Phoenix Spore or uh, with a unit. Uh-huh. Now, that doesn't count for spells, um, just actual attacks. Um, he's got another character that he can sort of use that has unit guard, can step in anytime something gets targeted with a spell or an attack. And this thing could have been targeted. It can step in if it wants. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got these little one-two flower things. But if they cause damage, they automatically kill whatever they hit. Uh, so essentially, what he's doing is putting out a bunch of these small things and just trying to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, a lot of his spells and stuff just burn your cards and burn your dice so he's just wrecking your resources hmm. and eventually you just die from fatigue because when you go to draw up to five at the beginning of the round if you don't have the cards you take one point of damage for oh, every yeah. and then also his things say if they can't discard a card or if they don't or if they can't draw a card or if they choose not to they suffer one or two damage and the same with dice so he just kind of tries to survive until you run out of cards and die so Um, jack was actually talking about that too now i'm thinking about it yeah that deck is equivocated in forum discussions and and whatnot uh to the magic the gathering modern deck eight rack where it just punishes you for being for well it runs you out of resources and it punishes you for it Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what this does. Joff used it. Jesse used it. I've been playing Leo Sunshadow an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've come close to beating him. So I played him with Brennan Blackcloud. I played against him with Brennan Blackcloud. Just got stomped. Uh-huh. Um, I played against him with some other people. I've had close games, but the only time I've actually got a win is with Victoria Glassfire. Huh. Uh, because her conjurations are interesting because they're all illusions. Right. So if they take damage, they die anyway. Right. So you kind of like don't mind throwing them at the things that kill your creatures because it all sort of balances out. But even that was a real close game. And I think those two came at the same time. They balance each other very well. And I, I won that game with only four victory points. Wow. But it's been, uh, yeah, it, or four health points left. It was a close game. But Leo... Leo, uh, 
I think the game is um, balanced. Some characters match up against, and there's another time when I think I could have won. I got him down to like four or five, mm-hmm. and I forgot a card was out and made a really bad misplay. And I, I had a shot at winning that game. So he's certainly not unbeatable, mm-hmm. but if you want to play with or against Leo Sunshadow, that takes that 30 or 20 to 45 minute game and turns it to a half an hour to an hour long game. Oh, wow. Just because it really is a fatigue. Uh, unless maybe maybe if you use like a more straight up aggro style, mm-hmm. you could finish it quickly, but I, I hadn't done that. So um, all four of these characters were new to me and I played with all of them intermixed over the last month, either with or against. And I, I would recommend every single one of them. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the, the two expansions Ashes has coming out this year uh, that also introduce new types of magic, which means new types of dice. Um, I actually taught Katie how to play Ashes, and she really enjoyed it. And one of the things she observed was it's the kind of game that can be as easy or as difficult as you want to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, she was definitely mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm running a base-level strategy, and she, she beat me. She crushed me. Um, what was the game? Do you know? It was... Oh my gosh. The um the leopard and um yeah. fairy and that one deck versus uh <laughs> yep. the iron rhino guy. Who is she? She was the fairy and leopard girl. Mm, okay. Yep. Um and yeah, she well actually I shouldn't say she beat me handily because it came down to one turn. Like one turn in either direction and, and that it would have Yeah, that's that's over. a close game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I misspoke there, but it, it felt really good that she won because it meant I did my job as a teacher, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, especially beating the Rhino. Uh, he's he's a little more straightforward and, and powerful. Yes, exactly. I don't think he's overpowered. No. Um, but I, I do think he's one of the more straightforward decks. Yeah. And, um, and I think you and I observed that the first time we played it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But... Like she observed that you can you she was running a very basic strategy with with her Phoenixborn, but there were cards in there that she wasn't using and she was just discarding because it didn't like it it didn't immediately make sense to her, right? And she's like, I could make this a lot more complicated if I wanted to. Yeah, and I thought and, and I think that speaks really highly to the uh, level of game that Ashes is. Yeah, and also if that's not a style, she doesn't like that style. I'll play with those cards get rid of them and put something else in exactly i mean so anyway so i just i just want to point out i've been playing a lot of ashes yeah. and uh really really like the um the expansions that have come out definitely looking forward to the to new ones um other games for me um we ha- well of course we had our board game day at the store and uh got to see a couple of new games to the table uh perlock homes yes perlock as in a cat uh Furriardi's trail uh, was a game that we played. Um, it's semi-cooperative in a way that I've never seen before. You have to give clues and be honest as to a hidden card in front of each player, and they have their job is to guess what the card is, either the number or the creature on the card. Is it's, that sort of sort of like a Hanabi mechanic, or no? Yes, very much like Hanabi, okay. but there is a winner. All right, so it's not stri- it's not co-op. It like. is not strictly co-op. Right, right, right. So there, if you capture Furriardi, <laughs> you win as a group. But like, there's a certain number of victory points attached to each one of these, like each part of his trail. Okay. So s- strategically knowing when to guess, as opposed to when just when to just hold, was huge. Now I was 
struggling just to do the math and keep, you know, keep my guesses correct. And I would overthink things because that's what I do. And so <laughs> I, I, I knew very quickly that I, that was not going to be my game to win. Uh, right. Whereas like Joff and Alden were, were just guessing as quickly as they possibly could. Okay. Um, so it's it's definitely got an interesting strategy and I, I'm, I look forward to playing it. I, I look forward to playing it more. Yeah. Joff said he really liked it. He said the only problem he had was that Watson kind of gets the shaft as far as not being represented in the game that well. Yeah, I agree with that. So, but but he, he had positive things to say about it. Yeah, it was it was a fun little game. Um, it's an IDW game, so I doubt mm-hmm. that it'll see much support um, because IDW mm-hmm. is you know they're they're more concerned with their comics than anything else, and 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 as well they should be. That's that's their primary. Uh, thing but mm-hmm. we'll see uh we'll see how that changes and uh maybe maybe we'll keep an eye on that game uh other games to watch out for uh battle for grayport it is a spin-off of the slugfest games red dragon inn this is one i want to i want to uh play you should probably bring this one to your bachelor party oh absolutely um <laughs> i mean red dragon inn uh <laughs> it's the drinking game without being a drinking game if you want it to be but of course, Alex and I have retrofitted it to be a drinking game. Again, perfect for uh, a weekend in a cabin in the woods. Yep, exactly. But uh, Battle for Greyport is a little bit more intense and serious fare. While it uses the same characters and a lot of the same, like, feel, you know, Gurky is going to get up to some shenanigans. Uh, Fiona's just going to hit really, really hard. Deirdre's going to be the, the cleric and she's going to heal people up. It's a cooperative game cooperative deck building game where there's a pretty serious threat on the town where the fictitious red dragon inn is located uh in this in our case we fought a band of werewolves okay so instead of just like a drunken brawl in a bar with a bunch of heroes it's an outside threat that they team up to fight against absolutely and and one of the scenarios even is the bar is under siege (laughs) uh, from what Corey explained to me uh now i i do own this game um I have I hadn't gotten it to the table and Corey was like, oh, well, we should we should play this. Red Dragon Inn can be played. I mean, depending on how many people and how much real drink is involved, uh, mm-hmm. can be played in about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, Battle for Greyport. You're looking at multiple hours, multiple hours. Yes. Like two, two, two hours ish for uh, we played a medium level scenario. Okay. And uh, so, obviously, I mean, a, a, an easier scenario would, would take likely less time, and, and a hard scenario mm-hmm. would probably take more. It took us a good two hours. And I was surprised how connected with the game I, I was from turn one to turn end of game. It was really cool. And you can hire, like, the cards that come out of the decks are either weapons or characters. Now, some of the characters are just no names, like Monk or... Uh, peasant or something like mm-hmm. that but then you also get all the named characters from red dragon Inn. so and, and that includes the ones you're playing as so i can see a lot of room for expansion in this product um okay red dragon Inn is is unwieldy big at this point yeah they had to sell one of those boxes that holds all the stuff at some point yeah um and so far the only other game that i've seen that has had to do that is sentinels of the multiverse now are there other games that could probably benefit from that well sure but they 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 did they uh they released a treasure trove box and mm. uh it's not full yet which leads me to think that oh dear they're actually going to keep going with this <laughs> there's a, there's a few i think uh what's it called did that too um 
Smash, smash up. Yes, smash up, of course. Yeah, um, so. But yeah, definitely uh, Battle for Greyport, another one to look out for. Cool. And you had one more on your list. Uh, I did. Um, so I've been playing a lot of Zombicide. I just want to do a, a quick mention, because I think I mentioned in the last episode that I had backed the Green Horde. Yes. On uh, Kickstarter. I just wanted to... That game actually set the record for Cool Mini or Not, their own personal best, which had just actually been set by Rising Sun the game before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they broke $5 million wow. on their Kickstarter. Yeah. And the final stretch goal, this is interesting, it has to do with the boxes too, was a what they called the Horde box. Because I guess in the past you just received this big brown box and then all the special minis, the Kickstarter exclusives, came in their own little things yep. i'm not sure how it worked yeah that's but they, exactly correct they have a a box that looks like the other zombie side stuff that is going to hold the heroes abominations etc from the kickstarter exclusives uh so that's kind of cool so instead of having a bunch of little boxes or a big ugly brown box uh it's going to be one that matches the game art and sort of theme uh, so it just looks better on your shelf, I guess is the idea. Yeah, uh, for sure. I can't wait to see It's that. something people were asking for in the comments. But yeah, I got to play Zombicide a couple times. Uh, so Jesse and I played a, a, a mission, and this also you mentioned in um, ba- not Battle, yeah, Battle for Greyport, uh, how there's like easy, medium, difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse and I played one. So most of the Zombicide missions you can play with six or more characters mm-hmm. we played one that was limited to six characters and it was ranked a medium difficulty mission mm-hmm. but i swear it's ranked that way because it can be one extremely easily or it can be nearly impossible to beat oh and so they it's kind an average of, yeah I, I it has to be because we literally lost the first two times we tried it on like turn three and four Uh, just really bad luck but so essentially what you have to do is you have to collect the mission sort of in the campaign is you collect food water and apples two of each card and then you run down and lock yourself in a vault and you kind of the story is that you're sort of resting up and planning your next move so in the thing you have to find two waters two apples two salty meats and then get down into the vault Mm -hmm. well the problem is in the deck that is, I don't know, 100 or so cards, maybe less, I don't know, let's say it's 60, doesn't matter, there are only two apples, two waters, and two salty meats. So potentially you could go through the entire deck before you are able to complete the mission, and the last time we tried it, we were like, we'd been playing forever, and we're just like, it was crazy, we looked through it, and the thing we need was fifth from the bottom. And if every character searched on every turn, it still would have taken us six more rounds. Wow. Just to get the items. And, uh, I mean, that's just a... It, so, I am I really enjoy Zombicide. I think I made that pretty clear last time. Mm-hmm. But this mission, uh, we're just going to move on. Because the other ones have luck. And there's certain items you have to find. And you have to flip over tokens and find them. But everything seems manageable. Whereas this one seems like if the cards fall your way, you could be done with it in a couple rounds, or you could have to literally go through the entire deck. And uh, so I think it's medium. It's got to be based on average. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, that's yeah. that's not the first time I've seen that either. Um, quick, brief aside, mm-hmm. uh, 
the Wager Master deck in Sentinels of the Multiverse is is rated a two out of four. Yeah. And you can lose before the heroes even get a turn. Yeah. In fact, it's not even that that uncommon. I agree. That one's it it is similar to that in that the two isn't that it's always going to play as a two. It's that it could be a one, two, three, or four, and that sort of is the average. Yeah. So this quest, quest four, I think it's called Feast or Famine or something like that, but is definitely an average. Uh, I had played before that, though. Emerson and JD, our friends, came over and played it, and um, we that was another medium difficulty game that we beat. But one of the reasons we... Well, I would like to think we would have won anyway, mm-hmm. but I made a rule error that drastically changed the way we play the game and made it incredibly more simple for the heroes. Uh, so in Zombie Side, there's a bunch of level one zombies, level two zombies and up. And, and so I thought you're able to dual wield weapons if you have two of the same weapon mm-hmm. and you do two one damage attacks. I thought that if you dual wield weapons you could combine those to kill a level two monster oh and make so that'll that'll dramatically change things then right it turns out that is not the case it just allows you to get more attacks in on fewer turns huh uh so instead of being able to kill we shouldn't have been able to kill as many level two things as we were and the reason i figured this out was because you can add sort of uh, you can use daggers which give you extra dice uh-huh. and then each one of those is an extra hit and we realized that if that's the case if you've got enough daggers equipped you should be able to do potentially four damage which would allow you to kill an abomination which has three hit points but i know for a fact that in the base game the only way to do that is using dragon bile and fire or with one of the characters Samson's special abilities. Huh. And those are the only two ways. So as soon as I saw that and we figured it out, I realized I must have that rule wrong and I went back and looked it up. Um, so it, it made the game a lot easier. Uh, I, like I said, I like to think we still would have won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, isn't that always the, the, the hope, yeah, right? <laughs> drastically changed. I don't know. Well, you know, it was a nice change of pace, though, because Jesse mentions I have a tendency... Uh, in co-op games to get rules wrong yeah. and make the game harder Yes. Uh, on, on the players than it needs to be. One great example is, is Ghost Stories. Yeah. Which you still haven't played. <laughs> I've talked about it a hundred times. But essentially, you're drawing ghosts for each hero. Each round, a hero draws a ghost mm-hmm. and they have a panel in front of them and they put the ghost in the appropriate spot but if a hero has three ghosts on their board essentially a full board they take a wound and don't draw a ghost so that you kind of get a chance to catch up i accidentally skipped that and was giving them a wound and drawing the ghost and essentially it made the game impossible and i filled up everybody's board and we all died um i went back later and realized the error of my ways uh but unlike zombicide that that made the game easier and more winnable mm-hmm. ghost stories i made just impossible to win have you ever done anything like that like just made a rule error that you know i have changes? and um yeah. interestingly enough uh greater than games just posted on their facebook that the uh pre-release or pre-order copies of fate of the elder gods have arrived at the office and that got me thinking like i've been demoing that game for almost a year now mm-hmm. and 
for a very long time until someone at, at the company corrected me. I was telling people that the only way to travel to the other worlds was to have one of the purple gate cards. Turns out that uh, just like if, if, if you just need to go to the gathering, for example, if you need more cultists to your cause, mm-hmm. you can and you have two, let's say, red cards in your hand, two red spells in your hand, you can discard both of those spells to go wherever you want. So you kind of pay two for one to, to do what you want. Correct. To make up for the lack of resource you don't have. And I was under the impression that the only, like, you even if you discarded two cards that were the same color, you still had to have a gate card in order to and go to the other purple. worlds. And finally, I, uh, like, I was told that that's not true. Now, that uh, mechanic doesn't necessarily make it harder, although... I could if you don't get the right cards in your hand. Correct. Uh, you, I mean, you, you can't... Like, if, if the person uh, next to you just continues to sit on the gathering, which is the only place mm-hmm. to get the gate card, you're stuck. You can't get that gate card. You can't go to the other worlds. Um, but generally speaking, that doesn't happen uh, because in one way or another, that that space will open up, mm-hmm. especially if everybody needs it. What it really ha- does to the game is it prolongs it. It makes it take yeah. a lot longer. I and can see that. Once, I, once we started uh, using that discard two cards of the same color um, style, people were going to the gathering right and left. Right. You had, a, or sorry, um, the other worlds. The other one, right. And which, which is a, a big way to get victory points. Yeah, that's just, just as a reminder to people. Correct. It's it's basically the primary way that you score victory points. And yeah, this is real quick. I just I just want to say this. Uh, I do want to point this out mm-hmm. because you mentioned how like if the person to your left or whatever I don't know the direction stayed in that spot. Yeah. It could screw you up. I remember when we talked about this game uh, back in the day, I I made a comment about how it could be really frustrating to play next to Cthulhu. Yeah. Because he could continually go to the spot that gives you victory points. Yes. Uh, I don't know how it's changed, but I got to talk to the designer of the game at PAX. Yep. And he specifically mentioned to me that they had changed how Cthulhu works. Yes. From the time I played to release um to make it less frustrating for other players so i'm i'm interested to see when you finally get your copy uh or when you get your copy i don't know why i said finally (laughs) but when you get your copy that change yeah well also i mean and frustrating things like that too i remember you and i played a game of splendor Mm -hmm. a while back and i think it was with jesse and eric so in splendor everybody you're collecting gems and you're spending those gems to buy cards that count both as resources for you and victory points. Mm-hmm. Um, in that game, you are limited to 10 gems. Right. So the time I'm talking about we played, I remember Eric and I, we, I had forgotten that rule. And when I sort of refreshed everybody, I mentioned, I thought I said, I, I said that everybody can have as many gems as they can gather. And what ended up happening was Eric and I, sort of hoarded all the gems and because of that Jesse to my left and you to Eric's left weren't really able to get gems or do anything productive right and it and I went back and looked at it because I remember the first time we played when Anthony was there just everybody sort of being more involved in the game and then I realized when I had taken away the that gem limit, I completely ruined the game for two out of four players. <laughs> that was a big one, but I, I 
yeah, I won't make that mistake again because that a that's a simple that's a simple game to play. Um, rule wise, I shouldn't make a mistake like that. But b that was that was awful. Yeah, that was a rough game. <laughs> the The complexity level of the games that we play tends to cause that to happen. And and one of the things we just kind of live with, I think, is we know that especially the first couple of times you're playing a game, you're mm-hmm. something is gonna get misinterpreted. And I, I didn't really want to continue to harp on Arkham Horror, but Alex and I were reading through the the rules and we found yet another thing that it didn't really impact things horrifically, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it changed things and it's just because those, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot to keep track of. Well, I mean, if you talk about complex games, uh, I mentioned last episode how I had some people over and we played Game of Thrones, the board game and we played a four player game. Well, going back and sort of looking things over, I realized that in a four-player game, you're supposed to block out certain areas. Yes. Uh, to the south, and I did not do that, and that really gave two of the four players a huge advantage mm-hmm. because they are sort of able to push south and conquer these very easily conquerable areas that give them uh, resources and castles and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. E- essentially unopposed. Uh, that happened in a game that I was watching at the store. Um mm. Our friend Jack has, I don't know where he got it. It might be just one of those fan-created things that we talked about last month. Right. Um, but he found a nine-player board for Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's he's completely up to the ante. I feel like that game would take forever. <laughs> oh, it took all day. I yeah. was just doing something else, and they were just there. I left, yeah. and they were still there. I don't even think they were halfway through. I've only played that game a few times, and I've never come in under three hours. Uh, and that's that's with four and five players. Uh, yeah, and uh, so and, and I know that there were supposed to be territories blocked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some of the players knew it too, but because of that change in board, they were like, "Well, which ones do we block off? Who knows?" They did. They didn't know. So I feel like in, in that case, it's it's a problem of. Okay, we have this nine-player board. Should we really be using it? Yeah, if you don't have, yeah, if you don't got the right number of players, maybe not. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, this this really the the sort of one and two front runners for most of the game were the two people who got that advantage, and it it made the guest game less. Uh, there was less conflict in the north because mm-hmm. there's no reason for them to fight if they can avoid it. Right. And it also forced the two of us in the north to join together and kind of push south and just force a bunch of battles because we had to in order to just stand a chance. Um, This isn't the sole reason, but one of the two people who had that advantage ended up being the winner of the game. Uh So that really just even not just the outcome, but even internally as the game is being played, it affected the partnerships and and treaties and that sort of stuff. And Mm -hmm. it affected a lot of the planning. Um, it was kind of, it just changed a lot. Uh, but it's not always, it's not always complicated games like Game of Thrones. Like Splendor is a pretty, pretty simple rule wise. Zombicide is relatively simple, but, uh, another game that has, has really good complexity, but really simple rules is a game K2. Yep. Love that game. Yeah. Well, the first time you played it, I kind of screwed you over. A little bit. Yeah. I was like halfway down the mountain and you were like, oh yeah, I just finished. Oh, thanks. So, so people know uh, K two is about climbing Kilimanjaro, and uh, in the at, game K two, Mount K two. 
Mount K2. Oh, it's not Kilimanjaro? <laughs> no. It's, there's a reason it's called K2. I thought Kilimanjaro was K2. What is Kilimanjaro's what in is Africa, K- dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the game K2 is about climbing K2, mm-hmm. the mountain. And when you play the game, you have you have certain cards that will you can rest. You have to worry about climbing. You have to worry about weather conditions. You have to worry about uh, staying oxygenated mm-hmm. blood-wise. Uh, there's tents you can pitch so you can rest and heal your characters but what it does is sort of a so nobody gets too far ahead or or too far behind it's got this mechanic that you play the number of moves you want to do and if you play the card that is better than everyone else's you suffer points that limit your amount of actions Mm -hmm. later in the game or, or for that round and so you essentially it's you can't get too far ahead because you'll slow yourself down Right. Uh, it's a weird way. I'm not explaining it perfectly. It's one of those mechanics that when you see really works well, but it's it's better shown than explained. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is, and if you tie, nobody gets any of those. So you're kind of hoping somebody plays a card just as good as yours right. or better in, in some way. Um, so you suffer these penalties for playing cards that are too good and... What I didn't realize until the second time I went to play K2 is that those penalties, once they've been suffered, go away. The first time we played, you, me, and Jesse, uh, I didn't know that, and we all kept all of our penalties for the whole game. Yes, and And that got bad. (laughs) You had particularly bad luck because you would play higher cards... And by the end of the game, it was essentially you had so many of these penalties, you couldn't really get anything done. Yeah, no, I was just stuck. Uh, Really bogged you down and kind of took you out of the game. But that was totally not how that game is supposed to be played. (laughs) Right. And so it it really, I mean, the interpretation, while it can be due to rules complexity, it can Mm. be just a simple misunderstanding. Yeah, just not knowing a game well enough. And when you're learning a new game, you kind of have to go into it with the expectation that you're likely to get something wrong, even if it's yeah, there's something learning simple. games. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then and you have those learning games, so if you get those things wrong, you go, oh, well. I mean, hopefully it's not too bad. Um, we, we've talked about on the show before the time we had to uh, restart Dead Panic twice in a single play session. Yeah, or the same um, with uh, Centauri Saga. And, but there are things like K2 and, and Splendor where... You have a good time with the game, or you hear good things about the game, and then later, just people at the table have a miserable experience, mm-hmm. or they're not able to do anything. Right. And you kind of... I, I know in my case, both at Splendor and K2, I'm like, why the heck is that the case? Right. Go back and look at the rules, or later just sort of, you know, perusing, in the case of K2, just refreshing the rules for myself, and realize, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's. I think that really boils down to the whole purpose of this podcast is like we don't do or i guess philosophy of this podcast we don't we have review one of games <laughs> we talk about play experiences mm. and and i think that's really what sets us apart because like if some reviewer now god god forbid a professional reviewer you know get something wrong and and have to redact what they said then you know that would that would be horrible i would i wouldn't wish that on anybody but it's gonna happen yeah, it's not the end of the world. It no. happens, and uh, and you've got to be honest and with with your both yourself and your players. 
Like, if you got something wrong, don't just hide it. Be like, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. We got to back this off. Mm. And be forefront with your players, especially when you're trying out a new game. I mean, I've got five or six games coming in off Kickstarter that I'm really excited about. You know, we're going to be learning some new games pretty soon. Yeah. One time I feel bad, though, is like, you know, imagine if I'm trying to teach or show K2 or Splendor or something like that uh, for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I completely just ruin somebody's game. Yeah. You know, because with board gaming, we've talked about this before, is, you know, sometimes you don't get a second crack. Uh, sometimes if somebody has a really miserable experience, mm-hmm. uh, they're not going to come back to that game. And, you know, they're going to spread the word just how bad it was. And I, I'd hate to be sort of responsible for for ruining uh, what are two really good games because I, I screwed up rules at the end of the day though i'm not going to sleep over it right because it is you know what it is but i try to get things right uh but i have made i've made a few pretty bad mistakes yeah me too anyway um i think that's a good good place to end off for the day but i think uh you know it's it's really important to acknowledge when you make a mistake and um just learn know how to learn from that so i think uh I, i hope this helps a little bit and just sort of identify you know, where we've gone wrong in the past and what we did to sort of rectify that and, and learn from our own mistakes. For now, if you want to check out some of the older episodes of the podcast, head on over to ghostshipradio.com. To see some of our other work, facebook.com forward slash another letdown is the place to be for that. Adjacent Hex is published monthly by Ghost Ship Radio and is pu- produced by Another Letdown Media. If you have some feedback for us, you can reach us on Twitter. My name is at D-E-N-O-N-C-Z-D and Doug is at I-T-S-O-K-T-O-L-A-F-F. And our hashtag is hashtag adjacent hex. If you liked what you hear, make sure to subscribe and share with your friends on social media and in person. If you have something a bit longer to say to us, feel free to send us an email at theadjacenthex at gmail.com. From all of us here at Adjacent Hex, happy gaming, and we will talk to you next month. Uh, I'm going to look up... What is K2? It stands for something, isn't it? I've just known it as K2. Also known as Mount Godwin... Godwin Austin? Austin or Chaholgrai. That sounds like (laughs) Chaholgori. Sounds like something out of Lovecraft. This show is part of the Ghost Ship Radio Network. For more information, go to ghostshipradio.com.